Section 35 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola K. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 20, Part 3. 16. It is also of importance to observe that the four laws of prayer of which I have treated are not so rigorously enforced as that God rejects the prayers in which he does not find perfect faith or repentance, accompanied with fervent zeal and wishes duly framed. We have said, in section 4, that though prayer is the familiar intercourse of believers with God, yet reverence and modesty must be observed. We must not give loose reins to our wishes, nor long for anything farther than God permits. And moreover, lest the majesty of God should be despised, our minds must be elevated to pure and chaste veneration. This no man ever performed with due perfection. For not to speak of the generality of men, how often do David's complaints savor of intemperance? Not that he actually means to expostulate with God or murmur at his judgments, but failing through infirmity, he finds no better solace than to pour his griefs into the bosom of his heavenly Father. Nay, even our stammering is tolerated by God, and pardon is granted to our ignorance as often as anything rashly escapes us. Indeed, without this indulgence, we should have no freedom to pray. But although it was David's intention to submit himself entirely to the will of God, and he prayed with no less patience than fervor, yet irregular emotions appear, nay, sometimes burst forth, emotions not a little at variance with the first law which we laid down. In particular, we may see in a clause of the thirty-ninth psalm how this saint was carried away by the vehemence of his grief, and unable to keep within bounds. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. Psalm 39, verse 13 You would call this the language of a desperate man, who had no other desire than that God should withdraw and leave him to relish in his distresses. Not that his devout mind rushes into such intemperance, or that, as the reprobate are wont, he wishes to have done with God. He only complains that the divine anger is more than he can bear. During those trials, wishes often escape which are not in accordance with the rule of the word, and in which the saints do not duly consider what is lawful and expedient. Prayers contaminated by such faults indeed deserve to be rejected. Yet, provided the saints lament, administer self-correction, and return to themselves, God pardons. Similar faults are committed in regard to the second law, as to which see section 6. For the saints have often to struggle with their own coldness, their want and misery, not urging them sufficiently to serious prayer. It often happens also that their minds wander and are almost lost. Hence, in this matter also, there is need of pardon, lest their prayers, from being languid or mutilated, or interrupted in wandering, should meet with a refusal. 
one of the natural feelings which god has imprinted on our mind is that prayer is not genuine unless the thoughts are turned upward hence the ceremony of raising the hands to which we have adverted a ceremony known to all ages and nations and still in common use but who in lifting up his hands is not conscious of sluggishness the heart cleaving to the earth in regard to the petition for remission of sins section eight though no believer omits it yet all who are truly exercised in prayer feel that they bring scarcely a tenth of the sacrifice of which David speaks. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. Thus a twofold pardon is always to be asked. First, because they are conscious of many faults, the sense of which, however, does not touch them so as to make them feel dissatisfied with themselves as they ought and secondly in so far as they have been enabled to profit in repentance and the fear of god they are humbled with just sorrow for their offences and pray for the remission of punishment by the judge the thing which most of all vitiates prayer did not god indulgently interpose is weakness or imperfection of faith but it is not wonderful that this defect is pardoned by god who often exercises his people with severe trials, as if he actually wished to extinguish their faith. The hardest of such trials is when believers are forced to exclaim, O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Psalm 80, verse 4. As if their very prayers offended him, in like manner when jeremiah says also when i cry and shout he shouteth out my prayers lamentations three eight there cannot be a doubt that he was in the greatest perturbation innumerable examples of the same kind occur in the scriptures from which it is manifest that the faith of the saints was often mingled with doubts and fears so that while believing and hoping they however betrayed some degree of unbelief but because they do not come so far as were to be wished that is only an additional reason for their exerting themselves to correct their faults that they may daily approach nearer to the perfect law of prayer and at the same time feel into what an abyss of evils those are plunged who in the very cures they use bring new diseases upon themselves since there is no prayer which god would not deservedly disdain did he not overlook the blemishes with which all of them are polluted i do not mention these things that believers may securely pardon themselves in any faults which they commit but that they may call themselves to strict account and thereby endeavor to surmount these obstacles and though satan endeavors to block up all the paths in order to prevent them from praying they may nevertheless break through being firmly persuaded that though not disencumbered of all hindrances their attempts are pleasing to god and their wishes are approved provided they hasten on and keep their aim though without immediately reaching it seventeen but since no man is worthy to come forward in his own name and appear in the presence of god our heavenly father to relieve us at once from fear and shame with which all must feel oppressed has given us his son 
Jesus Christ our Lord, to be our advocate and mediator, that under his guidance we may approach securely, confiding that with him for our intercessor nothing which we ask in his name will be denied to us, as there is nothing which the Father can deny to him. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 and 1 John 2 verse 1 also see section 36 and 37. To this it is necessary to refer all that we have previously taught concerning faith, because, as the promise gives us Christ as our mediator, so, unless our hope of obtaining what we ask is founded on him, it deprives us of the privilege of prayer. For it is impossible to think of the dread majesty of God without being filled with alarm, and hence the sense of our own unworthiness must keep us far away until Christ interpose, and convert a throne of dreadful glory into a throne of grace, as the Apostle teaches that thus we can come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16 and as a rule has been laid down as to prayer, as a promise has been given that those who pray will be heard, so we are specially enjoined to pray in the name of Christ, the promise being that we shall obtain what we ask in his name. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, says our Saviour, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. John 14, verse 13, and chapter 16, verse 24. Hence, it is incontrovertibly clear that those who pray to God in any other name than that of Christ contumaciously falsify his orders and regard his will as nothing, while they have no promise that they shall obtain. For as Paul says, all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, that is, are confirmed and fulfilled in him. 18. And we must carefully attend to the circumstance of time. Christ enjoins his disciples to have recourse to his intercession, after he shall have ascended to heaven. At that day ye shall ask in my name. John chapter 16, verse 26. It is certain, indeed, that from the very first all who ever prayed were heard only for the sake of the Mediator. For this reason, God had commanded in the law that the priest alone should enter the sanctuary, bearing the names of the twelve tribes of Israel on his shoulders, and as many precious stones on his breast, while the people were to stand at a distance in the outer court, and thereafter unite their prayers with the priest. Nay, the sacrifice had even the effect of ratifying and confirming their prayers. That shadowy ceremony of the law therefore taught, first, that we are all excluded from the face of God, and therefore that there is need of a mediator to appear in our name, and carry us on his shoulders, and keep us bound upon his breast, that we may be heard in his person. And secondly, that our prayers which, as has been said, would otherwise never be free from impurity, are cleansed by the sprinkling of his blood. And we see that the saints, when they desired to obtain anything, founded their hopes on sacrifices, because they knew that by sacrifice all prayers were ratified. 
Remember all thy offerings, says David, and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Psalm 20, verse 3. Hence we infer that in receiving the prayers of his people, God was from the very first appeased by the intercession of Christ. Why then does Christ speak of a new period at that day, when the disciples were to begin to pray in his name, unless it be that this grace, being now more brightly displayed, ought also to be in higher estimation with us? In this sense he had said a little before, Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name ask not that they were altogether ignorant of the office of mediator all the jews were instructed in these first rudiments but they did not clearly understand that christ by his ascent to heaven would be more the advocate of the church than before therefore to solace their grief for his absence by some more than ordinary result he asserts his office of advocate and says that hitherto they had been without the special benefit which it would be their privilege to enjoy, when aided by his intercession they should invoke God with greater freedom. In this sense the Apostle says that we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 Therefore the more inexcusable we are, if we do not with both hands, as it is said, embrace the inestimable gift which is properly destined for us. 19. Moreover, since he himself is the only way and the only access by which we can draw near to God, those who deviate from this way and decline this access have no other remaining. His throne presents nothing but wrath, judgment, and terror. In short, as the Father has consecrated him our guide and head, those who abandon or turn aside from him in any way endeavor as much as in them lies to sully and deface the stamp which God has impressed. Christ, therefore, is the only mediator by whose intercession the Father is rendered propitious and exorable. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 for though the saints are still permitted to use intercessions, by which they mutually beseech God in behalf of each other's salvation, and of which the Apostle makes mention, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Yet these depend on that one intercession, so far are they from derogating from it. For as the intercessions which, as members of one body, we offer up for each other, spring from the feeling of love, so they have reference to this one head. Being thus also made in the name of Christ, what more do they than declare that no man can derive the least benefit from any prayers without the intercession of Christ? As there is nothing in the intercession of Christ to prevent the different members of the church from offering up prayers for each other, so let it be held as a fixed principle that all the intercessions thus used in the church must have reference to that one intercession. Nay, we must be specially careful to show our gratitude on this very account, that God pardoning our unworthiness not only allows each individual to pray for himself, but allows all to intercede mutually for each other. God having given a place in his church to intercessors, who would deserve to be rejected when praying privately on their own account, 
how presumptuous were it to abuse this kindness by employing it to obscure the honor of Christ. 20. Moreover, the sophists are guilty of the merest trifling when they allege that Christ is the mediator of redemption, but that believers are mediators of intercession, as if Christ had only performed a temporary mediation and left an eternal and imperishable mediation to his servants. Such, forsooth, is the treatment which he receives from those who pretend only to take from him a minute portion of honor. Very different is the language of Scripture, with whose simplicity every pious man will be satisfied, without paying any regard to those importers. For when John says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2, verse 1 does he mean merely that we once had an advocate? Does he not rather ascribe to him a perpetual intercession? What does Paul mean when he declares that he is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Romans 8, 32. But when in another passage he declares that he is the only mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Is he not referring to the supplications which he had mentioned a little before? Having previously said that prayers were to be offered up for all men, he immediately adds, in confirmation of that statement, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Nor does Augustine give a different interpretation when he says, Christian men mutually recommend each other in their prayers, but he for whom none intercedes, while he himself intercedes for all, is the only true mediator. Though the Apostle Paul was under the head a principal member, yet because he was a member of the body of Christ, and knew that the most true and high priest of the church had entered not by figure into the inner veil to the Holy of Holies, but by firm and express truth into the inner sanctuary of heaven to holiness, holiness not imaginary but eternal, he also commends himself to the prayers of the faithful. He does not make himself a mediator between God and the people, but asks that all the members of the body of Christ should pray mutually for each other, since the members are mutually sympathetic. If one member suffers, the others suffer with it. And thus the mutual prayers of all the members still laboring on the earth ascend to the head, who has gone before into heaven, and in whom there is propitiation for our sins. For if Paul were a mediator, so would also the other apostles, and thus there would be many mediators, and Paul's statement could not stand. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, in whom we also are one if we keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. Likewise, in another passage, Augustine says, If thou requirest a priest, he is above the heavens, where he intercedes for those who on earth died for thee. Imagine not that he throws himself before his father's knees and suppliantly intercedes for us. But we understand with the apostle that he appears in the presence of God and that the power of his death has the effect of a perpetual intercession for us, that having entered into the upper sanctuary, he alone continues to the end of the world to present the prayers of his people, who are standing far off in the outer court. 21. 
in regard to the saints who having died in the body live in christ if we attribute prayer to them let us not imagine that they have any other way of supplicating god than through christ who alone is the way or that their prayers are accepted by god in any other name wherefore since the scripture calls us away from all others to christ alone since our heavenly father is pleased to gather together all things in him it were the extreme of stupidity not to say madness to attempt to obtain access by means of others so as to be drawn away from him without whom access cannot be obtained but who can deny that this was the practice for several ages and is still the practice wherever popery prevails to procure the favor of god human merits are ever and anon obtruded and very frequently while christ is passed by god is supplicated in their name i ask if this is not to transfer to them that office of soul intercession which we have above claimed for christ then what angel or devil ever announced one syllable to any human being concerning that fancied intercession of theirs there is not a word on the subject in scripture what ground then was there for the fiction certainly while the human mind thus seeks help for itself in which it is not sanctioned by the word of god it plainly manifests its distrust see section twenty seven but if we appeal to the consciences of all who take pleasure in the intercession of saints we shall find that their only reason for it is that they are filled with anxiety as if they supposed that christ were insufficient or too rigorous by this anxiety they dishonor christ and rob him of his title of sole mediator a title which being given him by the father as his special privilege ought not to be transferred to any other by so doing they obscure the glory of his nativity and make void his cross in short divest and defraud of due praise everything which he did or suffered since all which he did and suffered goes to show that he is and ought to be deemed sole mediator at the same time they reject the kindness of god in manifesting himself to them as a father for he is not their father if they do not recognize christ as their brother this they plainly refuse to do if they think not that he feels for them a brother's affection affection than which none can be more gentle or tender wherefore scripture offers him alone sends us to him and establishes us in him he says ambrose is our mouth by which we speak to the father our eye by which we see the father our right hand by which we offer ourselves to the father save by his intercession neither we nor any saints have any intercourse with god if they object that the public prayers which are offered up in churches conclude with the words through jesus christ our lord it is a frivolous evasion because no less insult is offered to the intercession of christ by confounding it with the prayers and merits of the dead than by omitting it altogether and making mention only of the dead then in all their litanies hymns and proses where every kind of honor is paid to dead saints there is no mention of christ twenty two but here stupidity has proceeded to such a length as to give a manifestation of the genius of superstition which when once it has shaken off the rain is wont to wanton without limit 
After men began to look to the intercession of saints, a peculiar administration was gradually assigned to each, so that, according to diversity of business, now one, now another intercessor was invoked. Then individuals adopted particular saints, and put their faith in them, just as if they had been tutelar deities. And thus not only were gods set up according to the number of the cities, the charge which the prophet brought against Israel of old, Jeremiah 2, verse 28, and 11, verse 13, but according to the number of individuals. But while the saints in all their desires refer to the will of God alone, look to it and acquiesce in it, yet to assign to them any other prayer than that of longing for the arrival of the kingdom of God is to think of them stupidly, carnally, and even insultingly. Nothing can be farther from such a view than to imagine that each, under the influence of private feeling, is disposed to be most favorable to his own worshippers. At length vast numbers have fallen into the horrid blasphemy of invoking them, not merely as helping, but presiding over their salvation. See the depth to which miserable men fall when they forsake their proper station, that is, the word of God. I say nothing of the more monstrous specimens of impiety in which, though detestable to God, angels, and men, they themselves feel no pain or shame. Prostrated at a statue or picture of Barbara or Catherine and the like, they mutter a paternoster, and so far are their pastors from curing or curbing this frantic chorus that, allured by the scent of gain, they approve and applaud it. But while seeking to relieve themselves of the odium of this vile and criminal procedure, with what pretext can they defend the practice of calling upon Eloi, Eligius, or Medard, to look upon their servants, and send them help from heaven, or the Holy Virgin to order her son to do what they ask. The Council of Carthage forbade direct prayer to be made at the altar to saints. It is probable that these holy men, unable entirely to suppress the force of depraved custom, had recourse to this check, that public prayers might not be vitiated with such forms of expression as Sancta Petre, or a pro nobis. St. Peter, pray for us. But how much farther has this devilish extravagance proceeded when men hesitate not to transfer to the dead the peculiar attributes of Christ and God? 23. In endeavoring to prove that such intercession derives some support from Scripture, they labor in vain. We frequently read, they say, of the prayers of angels, and not only so, but the prayers of believers are said to be carried into the presence of God by their hands. But if they would compare saints who have departed this life with angels, it will be necessary to prove that saints are ministering spirits, to whom has been delegated the office of superintending our salvation, to whom has been assigned the province of guiding us in all our ways, of encompassing admonishing, and comforting us, of keeping watch over us. All these are assigned to angels, but none of them to saints. How preposterously they confound departed saints with angels is sufficiently apparent from the many different offices by which Scripture distinguishes the one from the other. No one, unless admitted, will presume to perform the office of pleader before an earthly judge. Whence, then, have worms such license as to obtrude themselves on God as intercessors, while no such office has been assigned them? 
God has been pleased to give angels the charge of our safety. Hence they attend our sacred meetings, and the church is to them a theater in which they behold the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 Those who transfer to others this office which is peculiar to them certainly pervert and confound the order which has been established by God and ought to be inviolable. With similar dexterity they proceed to quote other passages. God said to Jeremiah, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Jeremiah 15, verse 1. How, they ask, could he have spoken thus of the dead, but because he knew that they interceded for the living? My inference, on the contrary, is this. Since it thus appears that neither Moses nor Samuel interceded for the people of Israel, there was then no intercession for the dead. For who of the saints can be supposed to labor for the salvation of the peoples, while Moses, who, when in life, far surpassed all others in this matter, does nothing? Therefore, if they persist in the paltry quibble that the dead intercede for the living, because the Lord said, if they stood before me, intercessorant, I will argue far more speciously in this way. Moses, of whom it is said, if he interceded, did not intercede for the people in their extreme necessity. It is probable, therefore, that no other saint intercedes, all being far behind Moses in humanity, goodness, and paternal solicitude. Thus all they gain by their cavilling is to be wounded by the very arms with which they deem themselves admirably protected. But it is very ridiculous to rest this simple sentence in this manner. For the Lord only declares that he would not spare the iniquities of the people, though some Moses or Samuel, to whose prayers he had shown himself so indulgent, should intercede for them. This meaning is most clearly elicited from a similar passage in Ezekiel. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel 14 verse 14. Here there can be no doubt that we are to understand the words as if it had been said. If two of the persons named were again to come alive, for the third was still living, namely Daniel, who it is well known had then in the bloom of youth given an incomparable display of piety. Let us therefore leave out those whom Scripture declares to have completed their course. Accordingly, when Paul speaks of David, he says not that by his prayers he assisted posterity, but only that he served his own generation. Acts 13, verse 36. 24. They again object, are those then to be deprived of every pious wish who, during the whole course of their lives, breathed nothing but piety and mercy? I have no wish curiously to pry into what they do or meditate, but the probability is that instead of being subject to the impulse of various and particular desires, they, with one fixed and immovable will, long for the kingdom of God, which consists not less in the destruction of the ungodly than in the salvation of believers. If this be so, there cannot be a doubt that their charity is confined to the communion of Christ's body and extends no farther than is compatible with the nature of that communion. 
But though I grant that in this way they pray for us, they do not, however, lose their quiescence so as to be distracted with earthly cares. Far less are they, therefore, to be invoked by us. Nor does it follow that such invocation is to be used because, while men are alive upon the earth, they can mutually commend themselves to each other's prayers. It serves to keep alive a feeling of charity when they, as it were, share each other's wants and bear each other's burdens. This they do by the command of the Lord, and not without a promise, the two things of primary importance in prayer. But all such reasons are inapplicable to the dead, with whom the Lord, in withdrawing them from our society, has left us no means of intercourse. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6 And to whom, so far as we can conjecture, he has left no means of intercourse with us, but if any one allege that they certainly must retain the same charity for us, as they are united with us in one faith, who has revealed to us that they have ears capable of listening to the sounds of our voice, or eyes clear enough to discern our necessities? Our opponents indeed talk in the shade of their schools of some kind of light which beams upon departed saints from the divine countenance, and in which, as in a mirror, they from their lofty abode behold the affairs of men. But to affirm this with the confidence which these men presume to use is just to desire, by means of the extravagant dreams of our own brain, and without any authority, to pry and penetrate into the hidden judgments of God, and trample upon Scripture, which so often declares that the wisdom of our flesh is at enmity with the wisdom of God, utterly condemns the vanity of our mind, and humbling our reason, bids us look only to the will of God. 25. The other passages of Scripture which they employ to defend their error are miserably rested. Jacob, they say, asks for the sons of Joseph. Let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 48, verse 16. First, let us see what the nature of this invocation was among the Israelites. They do not implore their fathers to bring succor to them, but they beseech God to remember his servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their example, therefore, gives no countenance to those who use addresses to the saints themselves. But such being the dullness of these blocks, that they comprehend not what it is to invoke the name of Jacob, nor why it is to be invoked, it is not strange that they blunder thus childishly as to the mode of doing it. The expression repeatedly occurs in Scripture. Isaiah speaks of women being called by the name of men when they have them for husbands and live under their protection. Isaiah 4, verse 1. The calling of the name of Abraham over the Israelites consists in referring the origin of their race to him, and holding him in distinguished remembrance as their author and parent. Jacob does not do so from any anxiety to extend the celebrity of his name, but because he knows that all the happiness of his posterity consisted in the inheritance of the covenant which God had made with them. Seeing that this would give them the sum of all blessings, he prays that they may be regarded as of his race, this being nothing else than to transmit the succession of the covenant to them. They again, when they make mention of this subject in their prayers, do not betake themselves to the intercession of the dead, 
but call to remembrance that covenant in which their most merciful father undertakes to be kind and propitious to them for the sake of abraham isaac and jacob how little in other respects the saints trusted to the merits of their fathers the public voice of the church declares in the prophets doubtless thou art our father though abraham be ignorant of us and israel acknowledge us not thou o lord art our father our redeemer isaiah sixty three verse sixteen and while the church thus speaks she at the same time adds return for thy servant's sake not thinking of anything like intercession but adverting only to the benefit of the covenant now indeed when we have the lord jesus in whose hand the eternal covenant of mercy was not only made but confirmed what better name can we bear before us in our prayers and since those good doctors would make out by these words that the patriarchs are intercessors I should like them to tell me why, in so great a multitude, no place whatever is given to Abraham, the father of the church. We know well from what a crew they select their intercessors. Let them then tell me what consistency there is in neglecting and rejecting Abraham, whom God preferred to all others, and raised to the highest degree of honor. The only reason is that it was plain there was no such practice in the ancient church. They thought proper to conceal the novelty of the practice by saying nothing of the patriarchs, as if by a mere diversity of names they could excuse a practice at once novel and impure. They sometimes also object that God is entreated to have mercy on his people for David's sake. Psalm 132, verse 10. This is so far from supporting their error that it is the strongest refutation of it. We must consider the character which David bore. He is set apart from the whole body of the faithful to establish the covenant which God made in his hand. Thus regard is had to the covenant rather than to the individual. Under him as a type, the sole intercession of Christ is asserted. But what was peculiar to David as a type of Christ is certainly inapplicable to others. End of section 35 Recording by Nicola Kay.